as we continue our time of worship, I'd like to read to you from the Psalms. Psalms, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates both day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let us pray. Father God, as we continue our time of worship through the proclamation of your word, let this psalm sink into our hearts. Let Ephesians wrestle with us. We stand before a holy God and we are broken by sin. But by the power of the Holy Spirit through the divine work, we can be in right relationship with you. Lord, I cry out to you this morning, even in my own heart and life, sanctify me. Let me look at the areas in my life where I have stood in the way of sinners, walked in the way of the wicked, Lord, and sat in the seat of the scoffers. Let us walk away this morning through the proclamation of your word, changed I'm more impassioned with who you are. Let us be more Christ-like. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, 60-second spot on time. Can I have a clock in the corner? It's there. Thank you. Roll them. Rolling. Action. Okay, here's the deal. We all know that life is busy. There aren't enough hours in the day to do all the things that we want and need to do. In fact, you're probably thinking of all the things you need to do next week right now, wondering how you're going to squeeze it all in. But the fact is, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter how much is on your plate, we all have the same gift of 24 hours each day. It's 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. All the money in the world won't let you buy one single second more than the next guy. And once that second is gone, it's gone forever. Look, there goes one right now. Another one, gone You'd think that we would judiciously use such a limited and valuable gift. You'd think that we would choose wisely how to spend, no, invest our time. But do we? Really? I mean, after taking the time for eating and sleeping and all the other basic necessities, do we really use this gift the way we should? Think of all the great things you could do in 24 hours, all the lives you could touch, all the significant changes that could be made in your life and others. The fact is, you could actually make a difference in this world in 24 hours. Or not. So, how are you investing your time?
How are you investing your time? What a great question to start off today as I introduce our kids to the teachers who are going to be investing their time in them today. I'm going to send our kids out the back door. You'll head over that way. For the rest of you, I'd like for you to go to the book of Ephesians. We've been in there since February. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses 15 through 17 today. 15 through 17, if you've been with us for most of the year, you know we've been studying this book. And in that book, we've been breaking it down into two parts. The first part we did from February, basically until Memorial Day, and that was the fact that we are made worthy. Ephesians chapter 1, verses or through Ephesians chapter 3, a short summary would say that it is all about what God has done for His people. The blessings, the riches, the grace to bring us into His family. That is being made worthy. The second half has been how we respond, how we walk worthy, how we walk worthy in response to all that God has done. This has been the whole second half of the book of Ephesians that we have been called, have been equipped to walk worthy as children of God. As a matter of fact, Paul starts out that second half in verse 1 of chapter 4 with, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you've received. And then... He begins to lay it out. He begins to lay it out. And this is how we walk worthy. He started off with, you walk in humility. Then it went, we walk in unity in the church. We walk differently than the rest of the world. We walk in love. We walk in light. And today, we're going to be looking at how we walk in wisdom. We walk in wisdom. And I'll be honest with you. If you've been here if you've listened to these like I have, I've had to listen to them multiple times every week. They haven't been easy. These challenges that Paul lay out there, they have not been easy. Everything inside of my nature wants to say, uh, yeah, but God, uh. And, and I want to come up with excuses. And I, and I want to say, basically, God, I don't want to. That's the best excuse. As a matter of fact, Kyle, a couple weeks ago, called me and said, hey, uh, I'm moving a gun safe, and it was a monster of a gun safe. And he's like, do you by chance have any time? And I'm like, the only excuse I come up with is I don't want to. That, that's it. I just, gun safes are heavy, and I don't want to help you. Sorry. And, and I told him that. I was just flat honest. I'm pretty honest with most of you all the time, so that's where I was at. And the, the truth of the matter is, we, we don't want to. In our own power, I don't think we would. We won't walk the way that Paul is challenging us to walk in our own power. But hopefully today, hopefully today is an encouragement to you on how we walk in the light wisely. And Paul says, to steal a line from the Mandalorian, this is the way. This is the way. So if you would follow along with me as I read from Ephesians chapter 5, three simple verses, three verses that that have made a big impact on my life, and I hope they do the same for you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the word of the Lord and the Lord's will is. Walk worthy. Walk worthy and invest your time wisely. Today's scripture, like I said, is one of my favorites. If you've ever been in my youth group over all the years that I've lived here, we all have done Ephesians. And I, I would do a really corny, 
horrible sign language attempt at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, because we didn't know how to do 15 through 17. And then we talk about, therefore, be careful how you walk. And we have little cheesy signs, not as unwise men. And we always point to our butt and say, but as wise. And we go through this whole thing, because I truly believe it is that important for each and every one of us to have it. It is Christianity 101, like the other verses that we've really looked at in Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5. This response to what God has done is Christianity 101. What we're reading is the basic fundamentals of Christianity. Sometimes when life gets confusing, sometimes when the the waters of life get a little bit muddy, we need to go back to the basics. We need to separate the non-essentials from the essentials, and we need to focus on the essentials. Walking worthy is an essential. It's an essential. And today, really what Paul is saying is, is this is how you live in the light. This is how you walk in the light. This is how you walk and live differently than the rest of the world. You live and walk wisely in, verse 15, your daily conduct. The way you conduct conduct yourself every day. Verse 16, and how you invest your time. Verse 17, on how you make your decisions. Next week, we're going to get into 18 through 21. And 18 through 20 is really about how you have self-control. And it's going to talk about alcohol. Just going to give you that heads up. So if you don't want to come next week, I understand. Uh, We're going to also be looking at verse 21. Verse 21 talks about this is how we submit ourselves to God and to others. This is how we do it. This is how we walk. These truths that Paul lays out are a fundamental reminder for the long-term Christian, but also a great foundation to build on as a brand new Christian. It is Christianity 101. And we've already said it this morning, but these things are not easy for us. As a matter of fact, I read a quote this week that said this, Christianity isn't difficult to live, it's impossible. It is Christ in you that is real Christianity. He's the one living through you. That is where the life of Christ is. We can't do it on our own. We do not have the power within us on our own to push back the darkness of this world without the light of Christ in us. But, it's a great word, but because we have Christ and Him and His power in us, it changes everything. And, It also changes how we live, and we need to live accordingly. So let's pick up back at verse 15. Back at verse 15, and look how to apply this principle. And I say the word apply because of this. The book of James, which we're going to start doing in September and work kind of all the way through November, going through the book of James. It says this in verse 1, or verse 22 of chapter 1. Be doers of the word and not just hearers only, so deceiving yourselves. We can't just hear it. We have to do it. So this is what he says for us to do in, in back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. Pay careful attention to, or if you have a different version, it's going to say, therefore, be careful. Therefore, be careful. And anytime you see the word therefore, we've talked about it week after week after week. But anytime you see the word therefore, it's therefore a reason. And the second half of the book of Ephesians is this practical response to the first half. And every time you see the word therefore, this is what Paul is saying for us to do in response. This is how we respond to what Christ has done for us. I mean, really, when you think about it, remember back 
to the first three chapters. As Paul explained what God has done, he chose us before the foundations of the world. He redeemed us through the shedding of the blood of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And you know when he did it? He did it while we were still sinners. He did it while we were still enemies of his. He made us alive. Remember that word, but God made us alive in Christ and not only made us alive, but he adopted us into his family and called us a part of his children. The result, there should be expectations. And there are expectations on how we are to live differently. The words, therefore, or in this instance for the the CSB, then, it basically ties everything together. It's saying, I have been saved and these things that are the therefores or the thens mark out my response to my salvation how i should be different i mean there's a radical change that occurs in a person when they're saved by god there's a radical change that occurs in a person think of the words that paul's already used throughout this book one he said from death to life Another one he said was from a futile mind to one that is a renewed mind. You've gone from the old, selfish, sinful self to a new, righteous, following God-centered self. From selfishness to selflessness. From a child of disobedience to a child of God. Last week we talked about from darkness to light. This week we're talking about being unwise to wise. Or from being a fool to being wise. Being a fool to being wise. So what I want to do this morning is I want to start off by looking at the idea of walking in wisdom versus walking in foolishness. That's really the foundation to these three verses. And then what I want to do is I want to see how they apply to how we invest our time and how we really live our lives. Our society has a tendency to define wisdom by the amount of education you have or how many degrees you have on the wall. And when we really stop and think about it, here's what we need to understand. Those are helpful in being wise. But the truth of the matter is, some of the biggest fools on this planet now and throughout all of history have been the most educated, most intellectual, and most knowledgeable people in society. And you might be like, how is that possible? How can you say they are some of the biggest fools? Well, the definition of foolishness according to the Bible is not living according to the reality of the truth. That's the simple way to put it. It's defined as a person's recognition or a lack of recognition of God who is the ultimate truth. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, guess what he says? There is no God. They are corrupt. They do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. Psalm 53.1 says the exact same thing. This is a large group that the Psalms are covering. You have on one side of the spectrum what you might call an atheist who lives their life trying to prove that God doesn't exist, which is just a weird concept to me in the first place. But then on the other side, you just have the average person who just ignores God, who just ignores God and his principles and lives a life as if he's the one in charge. Romans 1, 21 through 22, Paul talks about this entire group. This is what he says. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is the natural state of mankind. 
This is the natural state of mankind. This is who we are if you have not met Christ, or this is who we were if you have. It's a BC or, or, or AC kind of mentality. I'm not sure if you heard, but Elon Musk has a new AI program because he doesn't have enough other things on his plate. He has a new AI program called XAI, and I looked it up, I was checking it out, and the very top of their website says the purpose of this AI, their, their mission statement more or less, is to understand the true nature of the universe. That is a quote from the top. I can tell you this right now, we don't need AI to figure that out. We know the true nature of the universe. We know the true nature of humankind before Christ and after Christ. But of course, as it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. So we need to come up with AI. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, chapter 4, we talked verses 17 and 18 when Paul said this, Therefore I say this in testifying the Lord, you shall no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Can I just tell you something? People are lost. People are drifting further and further from God. They're drifting further and further from the truth. And because they are foolish, because they are hard-hearted, because they are ignorant, and because they are lacking God's spirit, man, that sounds really judgmental, but I didn't say it. Paul did. You are not going to argue your way or argue someone into the kingdom of heaven. Because of that hard-heartedness, as a matter of fact, they might even think you're a fool for believing in God. But it's kind of like this. We watched uh, Mario Brothers here uh, on Wednesday night. It was a family movie night. And uh, Luma Lee, who's the blue star, if you've seen the movie, he's in the prison. And um, in it, he has some great depressing quotes. And, and one of them is this. In an insane world, it is the sane that are called crazy. They're the ones that are called crazy. That, that's why people think we're foolish, because we live in an insane world. If you haven't paid attention, just turn on the news for a couple of minutes. Get past the weather. We know it's hot. Then you're going to see how insane the world really is. And we need to pray for this world. We need to pray for the lost. We need to look for opportunities for discussion and see God work in their hearts and in their lives. Why? Because until the Spirit of God begins working in their hearts, until He begins convicting of their sin and their need of a Savior, they're going to think they are fine just how they are. As a matter of fact, Proverbs twelve fifteen: a fool's way is right in his own eyes. But whoever listens to counsel is wise. There's a famous pastor by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote a sermon on this particular passage, and I was reading over it. And one of the things he did in his is he actually pointed out how to spot a fool. And I thought it was very interesting. I just grabbed the highlights from it. I want to share with you. It says this. The first thing he wrote down was, a fool is governed by his feelings. Yes, we see that today in this world. And we see it in today's church as well. The second thing he wrote was, the fool is led by the desires of his heart. What's the world going to tell you? Just follow your heart. Yet the Bible's going to tell you the heart is deceptively wicked. It is right down to the very core evil. Why would we want to follow that? A fool is a person of great zeal, but their zeal lacks knowledge. First thing that came to mind was 
the Pharisees. Man, they had great zeal. The only problem is, in their zeal, they missed the Savior. As a matter of fact, they didn't just miss him. They killed him. The fool only thinks about the now and not about future consequences. How is this going to benefit me now? I don't care about the consequences of the future. What can it be? How many arguments right now currently are going on about the way I feel right now? That's all that matters. What I do to my child in the womb does not matter. It's only about how I feel. What I do in, in my promiscuity or whatever word you want to do, whatever thing it is, it's about the now and my feelings now. A fool only thinks about the now. The last thing is a fool's impatient. We don't want to wait on God. We got our own things to do. Here's the thing. I list that out, but that was all of us at one point in time or another. That was all of us. We've all been fools, some bigger fools than others. But Romans tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in that all have sinned, our sin is the evidence of our foolishness. Because sin is defined as missing the perfect mark of God's will. It shows our lack of understanding of who God is and our lack of desire to know Him and His will better. We were fools, but God. But God moved in us and He moved us to wisdom. So let's now take a look at wisdom. We looked at foolishness. Let's look at wisdom. This other side of the coin. If you want to know what wisdom is, it's the opposite of foolishness. I mean, it really is that simple. It is the knowledge of God applied to daily life. It's the ability to take that knowledge and apply to our striving to do God's will. It is the ability to know how to take God's word and relate it to practical living. It's the ability to hear what we've been talking about since February and actually doing something about it. That's it. That is wisdom. I told you salvation makes a radical change in us. But as we've seen throughout the second half of the letter of Ephesians, the changes that God makes in us has to be followed up. It must be followed up with a continuing change. It's a word called sanctification. It's us becoming more like God. And it includes the area of wisdom. What does it mean to be wise? And how do we grow in wisdom? Well, let's, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say. Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And you might be like, well, that's knowledge. Let's look at verse 10 of chapter 9. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So what do we see in these two Proverbs? There's a, a common word there. It is fear. Now, sometimes we see the word fear and we think, well, that means to be afraid. And in this case, it's part of it, but it's not the entirety of it all. It's kind of like when you have a fear of your father when your mom says, wait till your father gets home. I had that said to me many, many times. And there is that fear that's associated with it, but there's more of the fear to be in awe of reverence of who God is. So basically, the wisdom is knowing God's true nature and bowing down in submission to it. I'm putting my will at His feet. That is wisdom. A fool lives as if there is no God. A wise person lives as if God is the only thing that matters. The God and His will are the only thing that matters. So which place are we at? Which place are you at? Are you living as if there is no God? Or are you living as if God is the only thing that matters? Wisdom is a living a life of a surrender. Uh, it's respecting God's holiness. It's understanding the price 
that he paid to purchase us. 1 Corinthians 6 said, you were bought with a price. You are not your own. We're not our own. And that is wisdom. When we come to that understanding, and that understanding begins to grow. As a matter of fact, as we are willing to do it, the power of Christ will fill us more and more. Paul actually prays for the church at Colossae, which again is that parallel letter to Ephesians. And he says this in verse 9 of chapter 1. He says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That word filled that He is praying for is also a word for controlled. I pray that you are controlled by God's will. That our decisions are based on God's will, not on our own. That is wisdom and that is a growing. So on one side you have the foolish, on the other side you have the wise, and that really sets the foundation for the whole passage. You see foolish, you see wise, but we need to ask this question from verse 15. What does it mean to pay careful attention? What does it mean to be careful as you walk? Now, if you break down all the Greek words that Paul is using here, it's a bit more challenging than just, hey, be careful. When you go out there, just be careful. It's actually this. It's see accurately or be precise. It is be wide awake for what is going on as you walk. It's saying as you live your life, don't underestimate the power of the darkness. Don't underestimate the power of darkness because it's going to try and trip you up as you are pursuing God's will. Here is what Paul's saying. You still live on this side of eternity. You may have been saved from the penalty of sin, but there is still the temptation of sin that is out there. We have to be aware of it. Sin and temptation are still pursuing us. We may have made the change in our heart and mind to pursue after God's will, And turn from sin, but that doesn't mean sin isn't still there. See accurately what you face on a daily basis. And see accurately who it is that is facing it with you. Who is in you and facing it with you. Know who you are and know whose you are. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 verse, or Ephesians chapter 1 one through three talked about that's why paul opened up with it so every time he refers to this therefore goes back to that be reminded of who you are pay attention to what is coming at you be wise and apply the word of god in your everyday situations know the word of god apply the word of god obey the word of god That's what he's laying out here. Don't chase after your desire and your feelings. Don't be impatient because as Martin Lloyd-Jones broke down, that is the definition of a fool. Be wise. Verse 15, I said it's Christianity 101. It it truly is the how-to for everything we talked about last week from verses 3 to 14. I'm not going to go into it again. It was hard enough the first time. But as you look at that, that is the how-to. Walk wise. Base everything on God's word. Well, guess what verse 16 is? Verse 16 is a how-to to to the how-to. It is telling us how to be wise and walk wise. So this is what it says. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. This is the first way we demonstrate our wisdom. This is the first way we do it. And as we look... We have to understand it's all by the way that we use our time. 
First Peter 4.3 says, you know, we spent enough time living like the Gentiles. Let's stop doing that and let's start living for God. Let, let's stop wasting time on worldly living. Let's not squander any more opportunities. And here's the thing we need to understand. As Paul says, make the most of your time. He's not saying, hey, you know what you need to be? It's a better time manager. Now that might be part of it, but that isn't what his biggest issue is. So you see, there's a couple different words that are used for time in the Greek. The first one is chronos, where we get our, our um, word chronology, or a chronometer that's, that's a watch. It is your seconds, your minutes, your hours, your days, your weeks, your months, etc. It it's a timeline. And Paul is saying, you know, yeah, you, you need to do better with how you spend your days, your chronos time. Stop t- wasting time on worthless things. But he doesn't use the word chronos. He actually uses the word kairos. And kairos means a season or an opportunity. It means a specific period of time that you've been given to complete the task at hand. The specific period of time that you are in a certain place. Now that can be a multiple different uh, ways to look at it. It could be the fact you're in school and you have a certain amount of time at school. Make the most of that opportunity. It could be the fact that, that you are at work. You have a certain amount of time at work with a certain amount of time with your coworkers. Make the most of that opportunity. It could be the fact that, that it's just a relationship you have. You have a certain amount of time, a season with that because seasons come and guess what? Seasons go. If you've been to a funeral, you know that seasons go. Are you making the most of your time? It could be their funeral. It could also be yours. Are we making the most of every season, every opportunity? When you really think about it, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon wrote it, experienced everything, had everything. But he wrote a, a part of the passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and it says there's an occasion for everything and a time, which is also kairos, for every activity under heaven. There's a season If you're old enough, you know there's a song about that season by the birds. And it's one they play in every movie that has hippies in it. You'll hear it, you'll hear it, you'll hear it. And we're reminded that there is a season for everything under heaven. We all have different seasons in our lives. And when one goes, guess what? It's gone. So a couple of days ago, um, I had over a thousand friends on Facebook and I don't say that in any way. It's like people friend me and I say yes and, and then I'm like, why am I seeing their food? I don't care about their food. I don't care. I don't even know who that is half the time. So I went through and I literally deleted over 300 people. I hope they don't take offense to it. If I didn't know you and you know me, I apologize. But in it, 50 of those 300 people had died. And I was still friends with them on Facebook. And I started thinking to myself, man, how did, how did that happen? That's just crazy to think about that these people just, their online presence still exists, but they're, they're not. And I began to even think about Facebook in this way. I talk about don't, don't waste your time in the Kronos or the Kairos. Facebook's a waste of time. How many of us get caught up in scrolling on things and the next thing we know it's like, oh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I probably should go to bed. I actually looked up statistics today. The average person in North America, by the way, South America is a whole hour more. The average person in North America spends two hours a day on social media. 
You add that up over the course of a year, you know how much it is? It is 30 and a half days. 30 and a half days. One twelfth of your year is spent on social media. Yikes. That's a crazy thing to think about. Are we making the most of our opportunities? See, we only get one season. We only get one shot. We need to redeem it. We need to purchase it. If you have the KJV, it says redeem. Well, redeem means to purchase. What do we purchase it with? We purchase it with our choices. Our choices to do God's will. In the words of Marshall Mathers, some of you might know who that is. He says, look, if you had one shot, one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it or would you let it slip? Yo. You only get one shot. Don't miss your chance. We can uh, do another childhood spokesperson for me. Ferris Bueller. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, guess what's going to happen? You could miss it. Don't miss it. To take a more theological approach, (laughs) Charles Hodge translates the phrase of redeeming the time into this. Rescuing opportunity from waste or abuse. Rescuing opportunity from waste or abuse. He actually said this. Just as Christ redeemed us, rescuing us from a futile existence enslaved to sin and empowering us to live lives of purity and purpose, we ought to buy back our time from futility and sin, turning our everyday opportunities towards His purpose. Paul does a much better job at making it concise. He says this in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Wisdom makes the most of every opportunity presented in life. And please hear this. Making the most of your time does not mean get busy. It's not an invitation to busyness. Instead, it's an invitation to order and live your life according to God's priorities. Why? Because the days are evil. The days are evil. That has two meanings. The first meaning is the days are evil. We know that. We already know the insanity that goes on. But the second meaning is is this. If you are not filling your days with God's will, it means you're filling your days with your will, which is evil. The days are evil. We have to make the most of our time. Then Paul closes up the section in verse 17. He says, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. See, the fool is a self-centered person who sees their lives revolving around themselves. In selfishness, they use their time to do whatever they want, whatever pleases them in that moment, and whatever will help them to find their idea of success. And most of our ideas from success, they come from that foolish standpoint, come from a worldly standpoint. Things like money, fame, fortune, happiness, power, pleasure. Really, basically all the things that Solomon, if you go back to that book of Ecclesiastes, said that you can chase after, but it's like chasing after the wind. Everything is vanity. Or if you have a different translation, everything is meaningless. It's all stuff we're just going after. It means that we're chasing after that. We are wasting our lives. We're wasting our lives. You had one shot and you blew it. You blew it. Paul's warning, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand it. Well, how do you understand what the Lord's will is? Well, you know him, and you follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Practically, what does that look like? The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Serve the Lord with gladness. Offer him praises of sacrifice. Use your spiritual gifts. Be holy, be humble, and be careful how you walk. And if you want to know, if you ever ask that question, what is the Lord's will? The Bible clues us into it if you're paying attention as you read it. In, In Romans chapter 12, it says, don't conform, be transformed, and have your mind be renewed. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it actually says, Repent and be sanctified and abstain from sexual immorality. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Find joy in the Lord. Pray continually or stay in constant contact with Him so you know His will and give thanks in Him in all circumstances. If you're careful to do these things, I'll tell you what, you will not be wasting your time. And you will not be being foolish. So my challenge to you, actually today, comes from two movie quotes. Two movie quotes, and I challenge you to watch some of the TV version because both of them on the non-TV version aren't exactly clean. First one is Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption, Morgan Freeman's character is talking to Tim Robbins' character, and he says, get busy living or get busy dying. The second one comes from outlaw Josie Wales. When he says, Dying ain't much of a living, boy. I want you to put those two together. If it says that we need to get busy living or get busy dying, but dying ain't much of a living, so you know what we should do? Let's get busy living and let's get busy living for God. That is my challenge to you today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and thank you for the challenge to walk in wisdom, to make the most of every opportunity and not to be foolish. And God, you didn't just give us the challenge, you gave us the ability. You give us the ability through your son, Jesus Christ. And if there's anybody in here that does not know him as their savior, God, does not have the power of the Holy Spirit working within them to overcome this darkness, God, I pray today is the day that they meet him. They meet your son who came and lived a perfect life to die a perfect death that I deserve, that we deserve, so that we could be in your family and that we could in turn live as children of yours. God, if there are people in here that do know that but are struggling with this, I pray you give them the power. I pray you give them the ability. I pray you give them even the accountability to follow through. I know it's easy to waste time. I know it's easy to focus on myself. I know it's easy to drift because I try and do it on my own. But when I rely on you, God, I know that I can overcome. I know you're the one that are fighting my battles. But when I try and do it on my own, it's it's a mess. God, I pray for those right now that are sitting in the middle of that mess. That you have opened their eyes even during this time in Ephesians on how to walk worthy, how to walk wise, and how to make the most of their time. God, may it all be for you. We pray it in your name. Amen.